questions, and they're questioning marriage. It's kind of interesting because the, the city of Corinth was a very worldly city. Um, if you know anything about the history of it, actually, to be called a Corinthian uh, was to be accused of sort of having loose morals. It was sort of like sin city. Uh, morality was very loose, and, and there was a lot of sexual immorality and all kinds of problems in this city. And, and so they had some really serious questions about marriage. One, their top question was, maybe we should just all be celibate, meaning maybe we should not get married at all uh, because it's so hazardous, it's scary, it's difficult. We're not sure we can handle this. Uh, and maybe we should give up on intimate relations completely. And you know, Paul first starts out by saying, no, no, no. Uh, that's not a good idea at all. Even though you're in a difficult situation there, you should, the norm should be getting married. And, uh, and yet Paul himself was single. Uh, he, we don't know exactly, there's a little tiny speculation here, but he was a Pharisee at one time before he came to Christ and Pharisees generally are married some say they had to be married so Paul may have been married at one point it's therefore probable that his wife had died she's not in the picture at all again this is sort of speculation but it, it has some grounds and some good you know reasoning behind it but at this point he's single he's, he's completely dedicated to, to the Lord as a missionary um, and so that's sort of the context of where we find ourselves in verse 6. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. By the way, the, oh, I get all feedback there. Sorry. The Bible is, uh, is literature, we, and we're to interpret it literally like, like you would literature, right? That's what the idea of being a literal interpretation means. It doesn't mean that you, know, you take everything absolutely woodenly literal, like Jesus said at one point, I am the door. And you could look all over him, he has no hinge and no knob. He's not a door. He's, he's the entry point. He's the way you get in to uh, be with God. But he's not literally a door, but on the other hand, from a literature point of view, it's a metaphor, right? So here's a case where we see in this literature, the Bible is saying, Paul says, this is my opinion. It's not necessarily the absolute will of God. Uh, and so it accurately records a very important individual's opinion about some things. And he'll clarify where he switches back to where he knows he's speaking uh, actual commands from God himself. But, so we start out in verse 6, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. I'm sorry, forgive me. Torstein, I'm still getting feedback up here. It's bugging me. It's distracting. Uh, thank you. 
So make me less hot. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Verse 8. That's, that's on the wrong side. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, he knew that. He's my son, so I could pick on him. My, my great baby boy. To the unmarried and widows I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I'm sorry, it's still getting Jeremy, could you fix this for me, please? I'm going to turn it off then. You got it? Okay, it's better now. Okay. Sorry about that. I get distracted by hearing my voice more than once. (laughs) Verse 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 10. To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. See that there he's switching. He's saying this is a command. This is is not just my opinion. This is a command from God himself. To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, isn't that interesting he's switching back and forth here, but he's making careful note of it. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is clear even when I don't read it so clearly. And thank you, Lord, that we can trust you to teach us and guide us even now as we spend some time unpacking what you said in this paragraph in First Corinthians 7. So, Lord, help us to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just so I always make a little outline to help us sort of categorize our thoughts. And we're going to start with, out of love for God, stay single. That's where he starts. And again, it's a, not a command, but I think a lot of Christians don't even consider this. I, I actually never considered it myself, to be honest with you. Uh, I just always thought I would get married. And he's saying, you know, I wish that there were more mission-minded folks who are so sold out to God that they're willing to consider being single for service to God. 
he opens this up a little bit more down in uh, verse 39. No, excuse me, uh, verse 32. Look at verse 32. I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So he's clearly saying, you know, we ought to have room in our thinking that being single for God's sake, for the love of God, is actually a very noble thing. And uh, I was reminded of a, a young girl who grew up in this church and went off to serve the Lord as a missionary her entire life. Her name is Karen George. None of you have ever met her. Oh, some of you. Anybody met Karen George? Yeah. I shouldn't say none. Yes, several people still remember Karen George. She hasn't been around here for a decade or so. Uh, but she's now retired. But our church still supports her. We had the honor and privilege of supporting her, her entire uh, ministry life, some 40 years or more. And now in retirement, we continue to support her a little, just to make her life a little bit easier. Um, at this time, she lived in the Midwest. But she grew up right here in Monterey, grew up in this church and served the Lord faithfully as a single woman uh, throughout her entire life. Uh, and it's, it's a wonderful thing, it's a noble calling. Um, my daughter, who also grew up in this church, is now a full-time minister too, she's married and has children. They live in Indonesia. And her husband is a, is a teacher in a Bible college there. And while they've been in Indonesia, they've had two babies. But there's a wonderful American midwife who's a nurse in Indonesia. Her name is Kalista. She's a single lady. She's completely dedicated, full-time missionary nurse serving in Indonesia. And part of her job is to help the uh, Western ladies who are, you know, need, need, need help like in translation in the labor room. You know, imagine trying to have a baby and you can't speak to the doctor or nurses. <laughs> now, my daughter speaks Indonesian, but when you're in labor, <laughs> you may not remember the fine points of grammar, right? <laughs> so it's, it's a huge blessing. Uh, we got to meet her when we were there in November. My daughter had her fourth baby, uh, baby David, the boy. So these are examples of, of women who, serve, who are serving, who serve the Lord, with great honor. What a blessing they are to the church. And they're not distracted. They don't have to please their husband. Uh, they are completely dedicated to the Lord. And Paul, the apostle, he lived a very rough life. He would go visit towns, and he'd preach his heart out, and they would beat him up, right? Many times he was beaten. They tried to kill him. He was imprisoned, and he ended up being executed in Rome. They cut his head off. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's just no kind of way for a husband to live, right? It, it's just better that he was not husband. He was a single guy. And uh, this text is, is a rare text. This doesn't, it's not in the Bible a whole lot, but here it is saying, this is a good thing. 
Now, you contrast that to what does it mean to be like a single? And we have a small group on Wednesday night, a, a whole church met together, a small group, and we talked about this a little bit. And one of the comments was, well, you know, single men in our society are, are sort of the, you know, playboys, right? They feel like unstable. They sort of spend all their money on a ridiculous thing, right? I mean, you know, this is the image anyway, right? Uh, they, have, they have ridiculous cars and ridiculous whatever they're spending their money on. We don't want to talk about it. Um, you know, what a waste and what a shame that is. This, this is a whole noble presentation of what it can mean to be single. Uh, and we should prayerfully consider that. In my little history here, uh, occasionally we've had some single folks who serve the church so beautifully and so well, and then some others who, who just haven't, you know, that hasn't clicked for them. Like, wow, I have a lot of time. I could help. I could do this. I could do that. I should come and volunteer. And, and Paul says, listen, it's, a, it's out of love for God. Some should stay single. This is a special gift and calling. Uh, see, he says that in, in our verse 7. He says, but each has his own gift from God. It may not be your gift. It may not be mine. Uh, and then verse 17 kind of indicates the same thing. Only that each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Uh, there's a, sometimes people are single, and not even by their choice, right? They get to be 40, 40, 42, 43, 47, 49, 53, and they think, well, you know, I guess I'm going to be single. <laughs> I'm not married yet, and I may not ever be married. So what should I do with my life? What is this opportunity? And the scripture suggests this is God's assignment. It's his call to you. And if you have a unique opportunity to be free to serve in a way that a married person may not be able to. So consider it. Out of love for God, uh, stay single. Marriage can be can bring many distractions, as I already read the text. And the unmarried can focus solely on serving the Lord. Wait a minute, come back. This can lead to good order and undivided devotion. That is from uh, verse 35. Uh, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. Again, this is not a command. Um, this is his suggestion. But to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So what I'm saying here is this text would teach good advice from the Apostle Paul that is if, and I, I don't know who I'm talking to today and who will ever hear this, but if you find yourself to be single, don't look at it as a total defeat. Like, okay, now I don't even fit in the church because there's all those married people there uh, and I feel awkward every time I'm there and, you know, I'm, I'm single. Uh, there's something wrong with me. God doesn't want me. He didn't, didn't set me up with somebody. And I'm perhaps meditating only on the fact of what I don't have. Right? And this text would say, no, wait a minute. <laughs> Look at the tremendous value you can be 
to God's kingdom. You can literally drop anything and go and live in India for six months and love those people and spend time with them uh, or any other you know, particular application. Think creatively. Think positively. It's not a colossal mistake. It's not like, oh, you got set aside. You're in the penalty box. Uh, stay there. No. God has blessed you in this particular way. And it can lead to good order and undivided devotion. Okay, so that's the first part of this text. Second part. Out of love for God, stay married. <laughs> this is the opposite assertion uh, we find in, in, in the next part. This is very, very potent. And the church is, is, is losing this, you know, we, what do we identify as? We identify as people who are against this, against that. And yet, right within the church, many times, uh, adultery and divorce is prevalent and acted as if it's no big deal. And the Bible is very strong on this. Uh, verse, out of love for God, stay married. Let me read the, the text again. So we get to verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So here he's ramping it up. The wife should not separate from her husband. And look at verse 11. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And look at the very end of the passage. Same thing is taught. Verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So, it's a very high view of marriage. Marriage is not to be broken up lightly. I did a little research on this and uh, the divorce rate in, in America is pretty astounding. Uh, the divorce rate in America for first-time marriage ranges between 50% for first-time marriages uh, to 41%. In other words, between 41% and 50% of first-time marriages will end in divorce in the United States of America. If you're married a second time, the range is 60% up to 67% of second marriages get divorced. And then they even did studies for the third the third marriage has a range very high, 73% to 74% of third-time marriages end in divorce. Uh, this is according to two sources. One is called the uh, Forest Institute of Professional Psychology in Springfield, Missouri. And the other one is a, a journal called Enrichment Journal. So what am I saying? America is very free with divorce. It's very common. Thank the Lord that in the church it's way less. You know, if you go to church and actually take your faith seriously, the rates drop down to about 20% in, in the church. Uh, but still, the church is very soft on marriage. I've seen this in Monterey County. I'm not naming any names, but I know one pastor who's been divorced three times. The pastor of the church. And he was ordained by one of our churches. 
And I, I, honestly, I think the Bible says that that person is not a one-woman man. And one divorce was like within three years uh, of his ordination. Um, and there, I know another pastor who's been divorced, and actually there's other ones. There's a lot of, the, the pastors, the leaders of the churches are divorced, and that clearly sets a standard that this part of scripture is not that important. Which is a disaster. Because when you start saying, well, that's really not that important, uh, you end up compromising in every possible way. Um, and I don't think I need to illustrate that or, or back it up. I think that is an absolute truth. So Paul says, out of love for God, stay married. Marriage is a lifelong covenant. Jesus taught the permits of marriage. Turn with me, because this actually gets us to the famous exception as well. There is an exception. Turn with me to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Here, Jesus is being quizzed by the Pharisees. I already mentioned them. They were, they were the enemies of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee at one time. And here's Matthew 19, verse 3. It says, And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now that actually, in my lifetime, that used to not be controversial. <laughs> but now, of course, this is actually a controversial statement. But the Bible clearly says that from your birth, from creation, you are either male or female. And it's a biologically based reality. It's not what you choose. Uh, it is what God has made you to be. I know it's complicated, but it's simple when you read it that way. Verse 5. And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. You know, for love of God, do not divorce. Hold fast. Hold tight to your wife. Indicates that marriage is difficult. Yes, it's hard. It's a challenge. Absolutely, yes. But you hold fast. It's worth worth the effort. So when you're on the roller coaster up at Santa Cruz, called the Giant Dipper, hold on to that thing. You know? <laughs> it's worth it. It's a lot of fun. If you don't fall, you don't hold on. You might fall out. Um, and sometimes life, as a husband or as a wife, feels like a big roller coaster ride. Okay, and, and the two shall become one flesh. This is from the very beginning. This is what God said when he made human beings. He, he sort of performed the first marriage there uh, in the Garden of Eden. The two shall become one flesh. And verse 6, so they are no longer two but one flesh. You know, the implication Jesus is able to, you can't take them apart anymore. They're, they're one. It's a, it's a lifelong change in your nature. And, and then Jesus says this, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
Jesus said that. So when, when uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband and vice versa. The husband should not separate from his wife. We believe that he's going right back to this teaching of Jesus. What God has joined together, let not man separate. So it's not up to man. A, a, a human court doesn't have the freedom to do this. They can't separate. They won't rest there. Verse 7 of, of Matthew 19. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. So he's, they're starting to allow the possibility of divorce. Why? Because human beings are so intractable. We're so likely to be, um, what, just, just uh, unrepentant. Uh, we will not change. We, we won't even try to change. We won't be interested in talking about change. Where uh, he says, because of the hardness of your hearts. If your heart is hard, and, and you, after, after a process, you don't determine a hard heart you know, in three days. Uh, it takes a while to figure out, okay, this is, this is it. There's going to be no change here. Uh, then, then, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. It was not God's original intention. And I say to you, so here's the key verse, verse 9, Matthew 19, 9. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus is saying that if your divorce did not occur, because of sexual immorality. And I think in the context there, it's, it's unrepentant, hard-hearted sexual immorality. It's not a, um, it's not a one-time thing. It, it's a, uh, I, the person will not repent of it. They're obnoxious, hard-hearted about it, uh, flagrant about it. Maybe so what? I can do what I want, that sort of thing. Uh, Unless the divorce occurs because of that sort of hard-hearted sexual immorality, and then if they marry another, they are committing adultery. So there is that, that one exception to this rule. Um, unrepentant adultery breaks the marriage. There is some grace there, and you can remarry if the divorce has occurred because of sexual immorality committed by someone who refuses to repent and has no desire to change. So out of love for God, stay married. Out of love for God, stay with the unsaved. Back to our text. I'm going to take too much time with this, but it's a beautiful thing here. He says in verse 12, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So a Christian couple, one Christian, one unsaved person, shouldn't say, well, we're going to have to separate because you're not saved. No, stay with him. Why? Because you bring your 
husband into the um, gospel environment. You, you, it exposes them to the gospel. He says this. Um, for the unbelieving, see verse 14. That's what he means by verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. She's put into the, the context of holiness. Uh, God is there. God is holy, holy, holy. And, and she's not perfect. <laughs> um, look at 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're uh, in this situation as an unbelieving wife, it says that's where you win them without a word. 1 Peter chapter 3, got that down. It's super important, but because of the time, I'm not going to go there now. But it exposes them to the gospel. Stay there. If, 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 it, if it's working, if he will let you stay, or if she will let you stay, stay there and work for the best and pray for the best and hope for the best, and particularly with the children. Uh, if you can stay with an unbelieving husband or wife, stay because of the children. Uh, your children are unclean. If And what he's saying there is, <clears throat> you, you separate away from the husband, it, it creates a great difficulty for the child. And of course, in our day and age, you can think of, uh, say, joint custody. You have an unbelieving husband who's living a completely unbiblical lifestyle, and uh, he takes children for part of the time. This can be great, a great difficulty, a great heartache. I don't need to, to say any more about that, but it's certainly best for the children. If you're allowed to stay, stay in there. It will be difficult. It will be challenging, but it's worth it. But if they leave, let them go. And I, I think that the word is here. You read it again. <coughs> Verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. That's literally not bound by slavery. The believer is not tied to a dead marriage. They don't have to stay connected. They can let that person go. And I think that's even the sense of they can consider remarriage after a period of time, most Bible teachers today believe that God has called you to peace. For you don't know why. How do you know whether you will save your husband or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So I put it this way. You are not enslaved to them. You do not have a promise that they will be saved. He said, it's best if you can stay there. Maybe they'll come to Christ. But you don't have that promise from God. Uh, you don't know whether or not that will be successful, so you should let them go. And I think, when appropriate, you may remarry. I think that's part of your not enslaved. I want to end with, with a few more thoughts here that come from the whole teaching of Scripture. Out of love for God, marriage displays love. What is God's purpose for, for marriage? This is all sort of negative, right? But the Bible teaches that marriage has positive things, part of it. For sure, one, one comment from Wednesday night was, it seems like from this passage, marriage is a necessary evil. And that's definitely not the full biblical teaching on marriage. Clearly, first of all, marriage is for mutual joy. Uh, comfort given to one another, creating a home of love. God has created us to love each other. And there's a mutual, mutual love to create a home where there is love that grows. 
And clearly, it's also for children, for, for the procreation of children, to have children when it is God's will, and leaving a legacy of steadfast love. And then finally, uh, oh, sorry, can you go back to that, my remote? Too happy. Go back to that last slide for me. Thank you. Go ahead, just flip it through. I'll, I'll try. There's a, there's a third yeah, example of Christ in the church. Display love to the world. I have here the marriage book that I like to use. Uh, it's from the Episcopal Church. Just listen to these first little paragraphs. Dearly beloved, we have come together in the presence of God to witness and bless the joining together of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. The bond and covenant of marriage was established by God in creation. And our Lord Jesus Christ adorned this manner of life by his presence and first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It signifies to us the mystery of the union between Christ and his church. And Holy Scripture commends it to be honored among all people. The union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind is intended by God for their mutual joy, for the help and comfort given one another in prosperity and adversity, and when it is God's will, for the procreation of children and their nurture in the knowledge and love of the Lord. Therefore, marriage is not to be entered into unadvisedly or lightly, but reverently, deliberately, and in accordance with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. I just love that little introduction. It really lays it out very clearly. What is Christian marriage? It is about love, true love and fidelity. Uh, it is for your mutual joy and comfort given to one another. Creating a home where you live in a house. You create a home of love for the procreation of children. God wants you to have children. The Bible teaches that. It says, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That wasn't rescinded. That's not a suggestion. And, of course, when it is God's will, in other words, this is out of our hands. Uh, we can't uh, decide whether or not we are going to have children necessarily. It is God's will. But he desires to have godly offspring. And, and you're leaving a legacy of steadfast love. And then finally, the example of Christ in the church. That's the purpose of marriage, is to be an example of this true love of God for his church. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your great word today. And would you be so kind as to open our hearts and minds to hear what you're saying to each of us. And where I have misspoken or misled, Lord, please just fill in the gaps and, and make it way better than whatever I said. I trust you to be the teacher. And Lord, we thank you that your word guides us and teaches us in all things. Thank you most of all that there is true love and fidelity in you, that you love us, and that you promise us salvation through faith in Christ today. We look forward to the marriage feast when we gather together with you. In the name of our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.